This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. So, a couple of things off the top here. Number one, door is locked, loaded, we're good. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's because last week my cat made an appearance to the studio, and this week is a no-go. Two, I am doing the neutral zone in the dark, which is something I learned... Uh, last week that is helpful for me and uh, that's always good three I got a new controller on my chair and it's not the same one I had before it's completely different and because it's new the controller is very stiff and hard to operate I assume now I don't know this for fact or not but I assume that over time it will not be as stiff but I don't know how to use it (laughs) I, I'm still having to use all the functions, aside from driving it and turning it on and off. I'm still having to use all the other functions the old-fashioned way because literally the technician put it on. I came over to do Kelly and Company, and now I'm here. So once we're done at 5 o'clock, I need to sit down and figure things out with my new piece of technology. So... uh that's what's going on in my world to mark this Friday. And of course, you are listening to The Neutral Zone. And joining me is Claire Buchanan. Claire, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I I am in school right now, and it's the last two weeks of the semester. So getting into crunch time, and, and that's uh, keeping me busy. And also joining us is Josh Watson. Josh, how are you? I'm doing well, Brock. I could make a couple of jokes based on what you've said this afternoon, but I'll choose. Oh, please go ahead. Uh, Go ahead. Well, well, there's the whole conversation about stiff controllers. Um, That, that is just an interesting concept. And uh, yeah, thankfully your cat decided not to join us this week, although I'm sure he or she is adorable. Um, Yeah. Otherwise I'm doing well. It's been a busy week. Finally have a weekend where hockey is at home instead of on the road. So I won't be going to beautiful Budley, Norwood, or Ottawa this weekend for a change. So it's going to be a good weekend. And we've got Grey Cup on Sunday. So looking forward to that. Yes, we do indeed. And it's time for our headlines for this week. The 109th Grey Cup matchup has been set. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers face the Hamilton Tiger Cats at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton. This will be the first time since 2013 that a team will be playing in their home stadium. The last one to do it was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and funny enough, they played the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Congratulations to the Western Mustang for winning the Vanier Cup for the eighth time in school history. They defeated the Saskatchewan Huskies 27-21. And I have to say that London, no matter what sport they're involved in, no matter what 
program, they always have a level of success. So this is no surprise to me that this has been their eighth time. And congratulations, first and foremost, on the championship to the team that just accomplished that. The Vancouver Canucks have fired general manager Jim Benning and head coach Travis Green. Bruce Bruce Boudreaux has agreed to a two-year deal that will see him behind the bench for the remainder of this season and next. This decision comes after an 8-15-2 start to the regular season. Canada's Bianca Andreescu has announced that she will not play at the Australian Open next month. She stated that she wants extra time to recover physically and mentally. Andreescu has stated that Cornyn's excuse me, quarantining in isolation and her grandmother having to spend several weeks in the ICU due to COVID-19 were particular struggles for her to deal with during the past two years. I, for one, am glad to see that Bianca is taking the time to look after herself. She is an amazing young tennis player with a great future ahead of her. If she needs a little time now in order to get herself right, I think it's a great thing. Those are your headlines for this week. Now let's check in on our Twitter poll questions. Go back to last week. Will you attend Canada's World Cup qualifying game against the United States in Hamilton? 47% said yes. 33% said yes, but it would they would love to, but it will be too cold. And... 20% of you said no. So those are your Twitter results from last week. Also, where will you be taking in the Grey Cup this year? Will you be taking it in in person, at home, or not at all? Cast your votes at our Twitter handles, which will be given out in a bit on the program. Coming up next, we're going to speak to Mark Nichols the third for Brad Gushu's curling team as they just qualified for the Olympic Games in 2022. Stay tuned for that chat coming up next here on The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio. If you want to leave a message for The Neutral Zone, call now. 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail. Welcome back to The Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined this week by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. And as we learned uh, on the break, or as I learned on the break, uh, both my co-hosts have uh, sledge hockey games uh, this weekend, or more formally known as para-ice hockey. I'm going to stick with sledge hockey, but that's neither here nor there. So, uh, check them out just quickly. One of you, maybe Josh, can you shout out where it's going to be in case people want to check it out? Sure. The game that Claire's playing tomorrow is going to be at Iceland Arena in Mississauga, which is just off of Mavis Road between Huron, Ontario and Dixie. 
And the game I'm playing in on Sunday morning at 9.30 is going to be at the 16 Mile Sports Complex in beautiful Oakville, Ontario. So if you're an early riser and you want something to do, come and cheer us on. We'd really appreciate it. Speaking of uh, someone you should cheer on, but it'll be a little bit further away to cheer them on is... uh, Mark Nichols, who is the third for the Brad Gushu rink in the sport of curling. Mark comes to us from St. John's, Newfoundland, and is a two-time Olympian in curling. In 2006, Mark came home with a gold medal and is looking to repeat that again this time around. Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us today. We've been looking forward to this conversation for a little while. Yeah, thanks for the invite, guys. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Can you start by sharing your story on how you started your curling journey? Oh, that was a long time ago. Uh, curling is uh, was a, is a family sport, and I basically grew up uh, at our local curling club in a small town in Labrador. Uh, basically, my winters were spent there. My parents both curled, so I was on the ice. At a very young age, I started playing junior curling, you know, when I was like seven or eight years old with schools and uh, went to my first junior provincial championship at 12 and I've kind of been in love with the sport ever since. Now, as we mentioned in the opening, you did come home with a gold medal in 2006 with Brad's rink. And I'm curious how you think that success might carry over into these Olympic games to help you guys be successful again. Well, I think, you know, we learned a lot back in 2006 uh, about international uh, play, uh, the Olympics, you know, wearing the Maple Leaf on your back as a curler, you got a huge target. Um, the pressure that you feel, not only the pressure that you put on yourself, but, uh, you know, curling in Canada, you know, most, most people or fans, uh, expect you or want you to, to do really well. And, um, you know, that added pressure is certainly, certainly something we didn't really know what it felt like. Uh, we've been to a number of international events since then, world championships, those sort of things. And, um, so the experience is definitely something we'll draw on uh, this time around. Your team ultimately defeated Brad Jacobs, not once, but twice at the trials. What was a big standout that made this event so successful for you guys? Uh, I think just our team, one thing we've done really well over the past number of seasons is you know, our level of consistency. Um, you know, all the teams at the trials are so good. Uh, you just got to try to avoid kind of having those bad games or even bad ends because one bad shot or a couple bad shots in a row can be doomed for you playing at such against such good teams. And uh, we've been able to kind of eliminate those or at least limit them uh, a fair bit over the course of the last number of years and make sure we get something out of every shot. Um, and that's just an experience thing. And I think we communicate really well. And um, sometimes at the trials, it's just, you know, the right break at the right time. And the, that could be the difference between winning and losing. Now, as we know, as curling fans, Brad is the skip of the team. And what we notice as fans is that he always seems to be really even keel when making decisions. 
wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about his demeanor on the ice and how that helps you guys be successful. Yeah, I think that's one thing our team is very good at. Um, you know, Brad himself is very, you know, there's not too many highs and not too many lows either. Um, you know, some other, as you're learning the game, it's easy to kind of live and die on every shot. But after a while, you you realize that, you know, there's no one shot that's going to kind of win or lose you the game most of the time. And you've got to kind of have a short memory. Um, that's something we've been able to do really well over the last little while is, you know, a shot's made or missed and well, let's move on, learn from it and let's make the next one. Uh, Brad's experience uh, is second to none. He, he, he manages the game really well. He manages our, our team really well and our tendencies. If we're, you know, struggling with a certain shot, he avoids it. If we're playing, you know, well at certain things, he, he, he kind of maximizes those and uh, you know, he's, you know, arguably the best kid in the game right now. We're joined by uh, Mark Nichols, third for Brad Gushu's team, uh, which comes from Newfoundland. You're listening to The Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm joined by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. And of course, I'm your host, Brock Richardson. You guys wore orange jackets all through the event. For those who may not know why, can you share the story behind them? Yeah, I was wondering if I was going to get asked that question. Um, the the orange is the, a, a number of uh, reasons why. Uh, one of the reasons is we wore we were given orange back in 2005 for those Canadian curling trials, um, and they were bright, bright orange, and um, we didn't really like them, uh, but we ended up winning with them and. Uh, it's been a long time since then, and we figured it was a good opportunity to kind of bring them back. And a lot of people knew the significance of those orange jackets. Um, Kubota is one of our major sponsors. They're, they're orange as well, uh, is their main color. So want to support them. And, um, yeah, it's just kind of weird how it happens. Brett, Brett used to make a joke is that you're wearing that orange and it's almost like you're wearing a superhero cape. It seems like you can't do anything wrong. It's just, our, that orange has done well for us. That is a fun story. Now, there was a lot of talk during the broadcast of the Canadian trials that they are the hardest ones to win. I'm curious, do you agree with that statement? And if so, what makes Canada such a good nation when it comes to curling? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's very comparable now. Like, the, the top teams around the world are so good that um, week in, week out, there's a lot of teams that can win, um, but the depth in Canada is still, still there. You know, top. If we if we sent any of the top five, six teams at the trials, um, there's a good chance that they'd be on the podium or really close to it. Uh, I just there. If you look at the world rankings, you know the top teams, most uh, of those Canadian teams there are in the top ten that were at the trials, if not just outside the top 10. Um, so it is, it is uh, just a pressure cooker of an event. And um, yeah, there's, there's no easy game ever uh, at the trials. With the winter Olympics creeping up on us, can you give us a little rundown of what your training schedule will look like between now and, and the beginning of the games? 
Yeah, we we took a week off uh, after the trials. Um, we've been back on the ice a little bit now this week, um, kind of keeping the legs loose. Nothing crazy intense. Uh, we'll kind of go into Christmas break. We got a nice training camp set up for the end of next week uh, for for a number of days, which will be pretty intense. And then take Christmas off. Uh, we play a Grand Slam event in Alberta the second week of January. Uh, the rest of our schedule is kind of a little bit fluid. Uh, we don't have everything set right now. We've got some kind of meetings in terms of logistics and how we set up uh, to make sure we're well-rested and, and ready to go for, for Beijing. Was there something at the trials that you learned as a team that perhaps you can carry forward with you for success in Beijing? I think just the the confidence in you know our own abilities. I think we set up our season really well to make sure we were uh, fresh uh, mentally and physically. We didn't play as many events as some of the other teams going into the trials, just to make sure we were ready. And um, I I think that's bode us well. And we're probably going to do something very similar. Uh, we we only have one event planned before the Olympics. We might play another one, but uh, you know we want to make sure that we're physically healthy, uh, mentally healthy, and ready. Um, and you know there's not going to be any worries about motivation or intensity once you get over there. That'll take care of itself. So you just don't want to make sure you just, you just want to make sure that you're not hurt and and well rested going into those Olympics. Now. At the trials, you guys uh, got to choose those wonderful jackets that we we talked about. When I saw you guys on the television on the top step of the podium, I look at those jackets and I say this tongue-in-cheek, and there's not a lot of orange on them, of course. Will there be orange somewhere on you guys when you're in Beijing? No, we'll gladly trade in the orange for for the red red and white, the maple leaf. Um, it's, it's an honor to be able to get to wear it, uh, again for myself and Brad and, you know, Brett and Jeff have never experienced, uh, the Olympics. It'll be their first go around, uh, for that. So, you know, it's going to be really fun to watch them experience being team Canada at the Olympics. Um, you know, that's what you, as a, as a curler in Canada is what you dream of being able to wear the maple leaf and represent your country and then not even just a curler as, a, as a, an athlete, you know, the Olympics are, are so cool. And I know you can attest to, to that as well. It's, you know, it's, it, it, I can't even describe it. It's been 16 years since I did it. And uh, sometimes I can't even believe we get the chance to do it again. It's uh, it's so hard to uh, achieve it once uh, let alone twice and uh, beyond. Your team also had a secondary story um, that happened. Um, Mr. Gallant and Jocelyn Peterman uh, got engaged uh, at the end of the event. Can you talk about how cool that is, or if that's cool, or if you feel it might be a bit of a distraction? Can you discuss that a little bit with our audience? Well, the engagement came before the event. Uh, that's, that's been done for a while. So, um, that, you know, they, there, there are a couple, I think the, the cool story is that they 
get to experience the Olympics together uh, as a part of their own uh, their own teams. Um, they're one of the best mixed double teams in the world as well. And kind of, I think that what they always thought is that if they ever had a chance to go to the Olympics, it would be together playing mixed doubles. Um, the odds of them going to the Olympic, the same Olympics on their separate four person teams is very, very low, I would say. And so they'll get to experience the Olympics together, um, which, which is a great, great thing. Cause you know, it's nothing, you know, I, I I'd hate, I know they both support each other uh, if one got to go, but uh, you know, having both of them there, it'll it'll be great for both of them. Was that was that kind of a um, uh, I'm, I I don't know if calling it a goal is uh, is the right terminology to use, but was that in the the back of of both individuals' minds of like we're getting there and, you know, we got to start to really talk about it as you both were in the final. Or do you think it was, if this happens, this is cool, but it's a long shot of a goal, if you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I don't want to put words in their mouth or speak for them. Um, I'm sure they had many conversations about what could happen. And if this happens, this is what I'll do. And if you do this, I'll do that. Um, I know Brett was probably a nervous wreck watching her final and she was probably the exact same way watching us play. So, you know, I'd let, you know, uh, I, I can't even imagine, like I wasn't, I have nothing invested in, in their game, but uh, having someone that close to me playing to go to the Olympics, um, I can only imagine how stressful it is. It's much harder to watch than it is to play and do it. So uh, yeah, for both of them that have to go through it in the same trials, it's uh, pretty crazy. Do, do you have any level of concern headed into Beijing in the midst of a pandemic or is it all systems go, let's do it. Let's bring home a gold medal. Well, yeah, you try to, you try to kind of focus on the task at hand. Um, I know that, you know, our supporting staff and the Canadian Olympic committee is doing everything they can to make sure we're ready and safe and as prepared as we can be. So, you know, once you get into the village, um, there'll be, you know, so many testing protocols and all sorts of other, you know, protocols to make sure all the athletes are safe. So I'm, you know, I'm sure they learned a lot from the, the Tokyo Olympics as well. Um, that that's going to be used. And I, I think, you know, my, my worry, I hope I'm not too worried about it. Obviously it's always going to be in back of your mind a little bit, but once you get there and get settled in, it's let's go try to win a gold medal for Canada. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. One more for you. Um, I told you when we were arranging this that I was a part of the crowd for the uh, championship week weekend in Kingston, Ontario. So we went from a packed house to an empty facility bubble, and then we're back to a packed house for this. Can you talk a little bit about how important the crowds really are because the misnomer is, Oh, curling's a quiet sport, whatever, but it certainly is not. Yeah. Uh, that, that event in Kingston was just awesome. It was one of, you know, outside of the briar that we got to host here in St. John's that we played in. Um, that was one of the best ones that we've, we've been in and, uh, in terms of fans and, uh, just the, the overall event. Um, 
playing in front of fans. That's what you enjoy. You enjoy, you know, kind of, I don't want to say putting on a show, but that's what people come to see. They come to see great shots. And it's always cool when you make a great shot and the crowd goes nuts. Um, you know, you play in a bubble and you make a great shot and you get nothing. And, uh, you know, that, that was very challenging mentally to, to play in such a high event, a high level event and there'd be no fans. So it was, it was really cool to get back in front of the fans for the, for the trials. So, um, you know, we've going over to Beijing, we won't have the same crowds, uh, families and fans won't be traveling into to the event. Um, so I think we're going to draw on a lot of the experience we had from the bubble that, you know, that's going to be very similar, I would think. So we're going to kind of use that as our, our gauge and, Hopefully we, you know, we played pretty well in those in the bubble. So hopefully we can do it again. I couldn't agree more. And uh, those those jackets will uh, look look very good on you guys as you represent Canada. And I know even with a less crowd, you guys are still going to rock it and do well. The next time we talk to you, uh, I hope we're talking to you with a gold medal around your neck. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That was Mark Nichols, who is the third for Brad Gushu, and he was telling us today about his preparation and a little bit about the trials uh, before qualifying for the Games in Beijing coming up very, very soon. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk a little bit about parasports, and you may need a pen and paper as we're going to give you everything you need to know about para-snowboarding and how that works. Stay tuned for that. On the other side, we'll be back. All right, everybody, huddle up. There are five ways to get in touch with the Neutral Zone on Twitter. Number one, at AMI-audio. Number two, at Neutral Zone BR. Number three, at Neutral Zone CB. Number four, at Neutral Zone Cam J. And number five, at J Watson 200. Now get out there and tweet one for the Gipper. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. And something we did last uh, Paralympics, which was only a year ago with the uh, pandemic, um, we we featured sports, uh, and we do talk about a fair amount of them, as it is anyway, but we featured sports that you can you know, grasp onto, and that some of you may not uh, know as well as others. Of course, we talk a lot about sledge hockey, goalball, this type of thing. But the Winter Games uh, is one that some sports you may not know exist in the winter regime for the Paralympic Games. And today we start with uh, para snowboarding, and Claire's going to kick us off. Yeah, thanks, Brock. I actually, this is a sport that I am very t- determined to give a shot and try out uh, this winter. So uh, I'm excited to cover this sport. Um, 
para-snowboarding is practiced uh, worldwide and features three disciplines, snowboard cross, banked slalom, and giant slalom. Athletes are combined with speed and agility. It's a race down the hill, fastest time wins. So uh, it's very uh, agility and speed focused. And the sport made its debut at the Paralympic Games in Sochi in 2014. A total of 12 Paralympic gold medals have been awarded in the sport, with USA claiming half of those. So for so far, five com- countries have won para snowboard gold at the Winter Paralympics. Ten countries have won at least one para snowboard medal at the Winter Olympics, and the first para snowboard world championships took place in Copper Mountain in the United States in 2015. Very cool. And as we move forward to classification, uh, Claire mentioned the different uh, disciplines. Now, the classifications are based on functional ability. And so they are divided up into SBLL1, SBLL2, and SBUL. And we're going to go one by one and discuss what each function means, and Josh is going to take the first one. You betcha. So the first classification is called SBLL1, and that is for athletes who have a significant impairment in one leg. So, for example, they may have an above-the-knee amputation or a significant combined impairment in two legs. For example, something like muscle weakness or spasticity in both legs. So this affects their ability to balance, how to control the board, and how they absorb the bumps and lumps on the uh, course. Athletes with amputations also will use prosthesis during their races. Okay, let's talk about the SBLL2. And this one is that the class will have an impairment in one or two legs with less activity um, in both of those. A typical example is below the knee amputation or mild spasticity. And I, for one, know exactly what mild spasticity is like. And I cannot imagine flying down a hill with mild spasticity. And sometimes mine is not mild whatsoever. So, uh, that's just amazing that somebody with even some level of um, spasticity is able to do that. Let's talk about the um, in the SBUL, and that class has impairments with of their upper limbs, which impacts on their ability to balance well when racing down the hill. Let's, I mean, think about it this way: you're supposed to balance on a snowboard and the fact that these athletes are in a category who are have limitations with balance but are still able to fly down the hill that's pretty incredible overall so really good look there and that's a look at your classification Hmm. we're going to talk to you a little bit about how the the different events work um So as we said before, the idea is to combine speed and agility while racing down 
a course as fast as possible. So very much like skiing in that regard. The events, as we discussed, were Snowboard Cross, which is a competition in which four to six competitors race down the course at the same time. Uh, Snowboard Cross courses are typically quite narrow, and they include a lot of cambered turns, various types of jumps, berms, rollers, drops, steep and flat sections. And they're designed to challenge the rider's ability to stay in control while maintaining maximum speed. Um, it's really not uncommon in this race for racers to collide with one another, and those can be quite spectacular to watch. Uh, Snowboard Cross has some common traits with motorcycle motocross courses, if anyone's familiar with those. So that's why you see the name being uh, similar. In terms of the banked slalom event, it is a competition on a twisty, curvy type of course with a lot of large banked turns. The course is similar to that found in Snowboard Cross, except it's been smoothed out and doesn't have the notched jumps or stepwise rhythm sections. The giant slalom is, as you might expect, very similar to skiing, where the racer will pilot their snowboard through a series of poles or gates as they're called. And it's again, the fastest time through all the gates without missing one wins the race. Uh, Lots and lots of uh, variety in these events and lots of excitement and uh, lots of equipment as well, which we're, uh, we're going to touch on a little bit now for you. Yeah, thank you, Josh. So the equipment, um, sorry, I lost my place here. That's we're okay. Gonna we're going to talk about the yeah. snowboards. Yes, the we're going to start with, yes, the snowboards. Um, the competitors are not allowed to wear anything on their hands besides gloves, um, so they're not able to adapt their balance with, uh, equipment itself. Um, the snowboards themselves can be used in competitions and the snowboard tail must have no sharp edges. It must be smooth. The board's minimal width is restricted. Um, the gliding surface, if it's up to 135 centimeters long, the minimal width can only be uh, 14 centimeters. And if the gliding surface length is over 135 centimeters long, then the width can only be a minimum of 16 centimeters. That is pretty narrow. Uh, they do allow bindings, but the bindings must be fixed diagonally along the long axis of the board. The boots that are worn cannot overlap each other. And any plate systems that connect both bindings together would not be allowed. However, an individual plate system for each boot is allowed. And then this one is one that I, as I look at it, it's like, (laughs) hmm, this is interesting. And I'll fill you in. Retention devices and leashes. Safety leashes are optional. Yes, I said optional. Unless it's required by the organizer or the ski arena. And I have to tell you, I would be putting those on because I'm all about safety. I was shocked to learn that these are optional. 
Yeah, Brock. I honestly, I, I do want to try the sport, but I, I definitely will be doing a few runs with the leash on because it, it's it's insane how fast you go down that hill right off the right off the gate. So, uh, like I mentioned before, competitors are allowed to wear uh, gloves and and protective gear, of course, because it's it's an outdoor sport in the winter. So. You are allowed to have your hands covered and and supported in that way to keep them warm. But again, you're not allowed to have anything that puts your balance off or um, kind of shifts your weight in a certain in a certain directions to accelerate their speed. Uh, and this usually referring to like poles or sticks or or anything that would give the them an easier. Uh, ability to to balance themselves. Absolutely. And the suits themselves that are worn during a competition must be two pieces. So you have pants and a separate top. The form-fitting or downhill suits like you might see in skiing where they're spandex and they're skin tight are not permitted. There are no straps, fastening devices, or other methods that can be used to tighten the suit material or in any way try to improve the aerodynamics of the suits themselves. <laughs> Let's talk about goggles. The use of goggles is recommended, but competitors may not attempt to reshape the goggles into more of an aerodynamic shape, and it must be worn outside outside of the helmet now something there that sort of might catch your attention is why we have to say something that in this case would seem like an advantage and obvious to not you know shape them to be more aerodynamic because unless it's written in a rule people are going to find a way of any competitive advantage so as obvious as it might seem to me you josh whoever out there these things do need to be written, and I'm, again, surprised that goggles are, you know, recommended, but it doesn't say they're a must-have, and I don't know. Again, I'm not going down a hill without goggles on. Well, absolutely not. You don't want to catch a, a piece of something in the eye or a gate or, or anything like that. I'd be absolutely wearing the goggles. Um, I also think it's important that uh, that these protectors be worn. Now, you might be saying to yourself, what the heck is a protector? Well, a protector is an additional piece of equipment which protects the snowboarder's back. They must adapt to the anatomical curve of the athlete's spine. However, protectors cannot be altered in any way to improve aerodynamic performance, and they must be worn under the competition suit. And of course, we do have to talk about uh, helmets. And Claire, I think you have some information about that for us. Yes, I. Helmets are definitely not just suggested here; they are required. And uh, the use—they're called crash helmets, specifically for the sport. And they are used in all snowboarding events, thankfully. And helmets are worn in all IPC events and. They are specifically manufactured for the sport themselves, and they they have a CE mark that must be shown and represented on the helmet. And there's there's standards and uh, 
like recognized and appropriate standards that these helmets have to uh, stand up to. And the helmet must uh, not be covering the entire face, which I, I disagree. I feel like that should be a uh, kind of dealer's choice if you want to protect your, your whole face. <laughs> but um, I, I definitely would make that decision. But I guess to each their own. Of course, to each their own, but I'm with you on that one. I'm, I would be wanting to make that decision. We've got some uh, interesting facts that I want to uh, cover over that the listener uh, might want to know. Yeah, Mike Schultz is currently the most decorated male Paralympic snowboarder after taking two golds in Pyeongchang uh, in 2018 and gold at the uh, sports debut in Sochi in 2014. Absolutely. And Bibian Mentel Spee also has won two golds. Uh, she won hers at the 2018 Winter Paralympics. Now, the interesting thing about Vivian, among many other things, is that she won these two gold medals after undergoing two major surgeries and cancer treatments in the lead up to the 2018 Winter Paralympics. Sadly, the cancer caught up with her and Vivian did pass away in March of 2020, uh, excuse me, 2021. But she absolutely is someone that many in the sport do, uh, do recognize and, and looked up to. The U.S. United States, Brianna Huckby, is the only other female snowboarder to have won at least two Winter Paralympic golds. So that's a cool fact there as well. The world's best snowboarders also take part in the World Cup Series, which features a number of events across the Americas, Asia, Europe, uh, all throughout the season. You know, uh, folks, this is uh, one of the reasons we have our show on podcast, because we just loaded you with information on uh, para snowboarding. So if you missed anything, go back to the podcast, which will be available shortly after the program. And we will do that again with more sports down the line as we get closer to the Paralympic Games in Beijing. Coming up next, the uh, Grey Cup is afoot and will be a part of your weekend and so we're going to discuss that right after the break here on the neutral zone stay with us we'll be back Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Claire Buchanan. Well, one of the things that's always on the calendar in Canada is the Grey Cup. And this year it's between the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Now, as we mentioned off the headline, this is the first time since... 2013 that the home team is going to be a participant in the game and it's the exact same matchup as josh mentioned um which is also really ironic i must say um actually it's but not. 
It was really? Saskatchewan versus Hamilton back in 2013. This time it's Winnipeg. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Of course. Yes, because Winnipeg. I <laughs> I jumped ahead. I got really excited about it being history, and I wanted to make it both the same teams. And, uh, yeah, that would just be it happens. really, really Really weird if that happened. But yes, uh, Winnipeg and Hamilton. Uh, Thoughts on the game? I have some, but I'll let you guys go first. Uh, Josh, go ahead. I'm looking forward to this game. Winnipeg has been dominant all season long. They basically had the West Division wrapped up about a month or two prior to the end of the season. Um, so they've been cooling their heels and resting players and it'll be interesting to see they were a bit rusty in the west finals so i'm curious to see how they'll come out in the uh, the gray cup game itself i mean personally i just love the gray cup i mean how many games of football do we get to watch where it could potentially snow and snow heavily so that that always adds something to uh, to the game and hamilton i don't think anyone probably expected to be there. Hamilton went up against Toronto in the East final. Toronto had been a very strong team all year, but of course with the uh, 403 rivalry, as it's called, the, uh, the tech cats always get up for a game against Toronto and they certainly did last week. And so now they get to ride that wave into their home stadium for the, the gray cup and, go up against what is probably the best team in the league. So let's see what they've got, see who they play. And uh, in terms of personnel, which we're going to talk about in a minute, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. I I'm a big great cup fan. I, I, it's on my bucket list to, to attend one. And uh, like you said, Josh, we, we definitely expected more so of Toronto being in this game over Hamilton, but his story has shown us that, uh, like you said, uh, Hamilton does not back down against Toronto, especially on their home field. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. I uh, It's been exciting to watch uh, Winnipeg, like you said, dominate all, all season. And um, I, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, so I'm a big fan of uh, snowy football games. And uh, it's... <laughs> It's very possible that we we might get one this Sunday, so it, it's going to be really fun to watch for sure. I remember when um, the Grey Cup was in Ottawa a number of years back, and mm-hmm. the snow yep. basically covered uh, the field, and like you would see them running in their cleats, uh, and the snow would be kicking up, and the visuals on that were incredible. So I am. A big proponent of let it snow and no folks i am not singing let it snow um but (laughs) there's kind of another storyline here and that is that jeremiah masoli was quite frank he quite frankly struggled in the first half against the toronto argonauts and orlando steinhauer the head coach of hamilton had to make a decision to put Dane Evans in the second half, which is arguably one of the turning points in the game, aside from that uh, 40 or 50-yard run that took place uh, in the middle of the game when Toronto just let the seas open mm-hmm. and they said, go ahead, run the ball down to the end zone in a, in a game that points are at a premium. 
for you guys, who would you start and why? Josh, go ahead. Oh, I don't think it's even a question. Um, Dane Evans has been in and out of the lineup all season long, and he seems to be able to pick the team up and, and if we use a, a cliche, right the ship. Uh, I, I think it's a no-brainer that you start him. He's poised. He's been in the big game. He just, he really strikes me as that kind of mentality, uh, that type of quarterback that just excels in the big game. But I will also be interested to see if that running attack that we saw on both sides of the ledger actually does continue because the, the bombers, the bombers did, uh, a lot of running as well with Andrew Harris, who was just back off of injuries. So it's going to be very interesting, but yeah, Dane Evans for me is an easy choice. It's an easy choice for me as well. Uh, Like you said, he's been consistent whenever he has been in the game. And I think going into a big game like that mentality is, is I think bigger than being prepared physically, you've done all the the work in the gym and stuff and coming into a big game like this, you it's, it's where your mental game is to, to really optimize in those big moments. And, and if you're seeing uh, one of your players backup or not excel in, in bigger moments like that, then, then you have to trust that, that that's, that they can tap into that and that it's, it's going to make, everyone around them better. And, and it's just showing through his game when he's on the field. Here's what I'll say. I will say, go ahead, Josh. I was just going to say in the interviews after the game last week, Dane talked even about how he wasn't phased by having to come in because he and Jeremiah and the third string quarterback all talked about how it was going to take all of them to succeed. So, I mean, maybe we see a split at some point. But uh, yeah, go ahead, Brock. Here's what I will say. If we are talking about a best of seven or three out of five, you may go with the guy that, you know, has got you to this point for the vast majority of the season. Yes, Dane has been in and out of the lineup, but you are talking about a one game playoff for the Grey Cup for all the marbles. To me, there is zero question as to who you start. The question will become, who is the winner? So very quickly from both of you, who wins? Claire? I'm going to, win. I am going to go with Winnipeg taking this one. I think it's going to be a tight game, but uh, I think Winnipeg's going to count on, come out on top. For me, I think in, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to say Hamilton. I think they're riding a wave, and I think they're going to pull it off. Not only do I think they're riding a wave, but they're going to ride the wave of the home field crowd. That is the end of our show for this week. I'd like to thank Josh Watson, Claire Buchanan. I'd also like to thank our technical producer is Matt Agnew. Our technical supervisor is Paula Deneen. And our manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Have a great week. And I, of course, am your host and producer, Brock Richardson. Be safe. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.